You're now listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. A Place of Refuge vision is to cause people to be productive in every aspect of life according to God's Word. For more information, please stop by our website at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Now, here's today's message already in progress. First Peter 1 and 3 starts out. Peter, blesses the God or the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful we have a God that we can bless a praise that is worthy of it. That, that's, that's a blessing because when, when you consider the different type gods that have been, that presently are, and, and even the, these little gods that will show up in the future. Most of these gods are not worthy of blessing. But people still serve them. They still serve them. They bless a statue or statues. Bless things that can't even talk back. You know a statue is not worthy of a blessing. Then, of course, the little God of gods, the devil. Folk even worship him. You've heard of devil worship. You even know people that worship him through song, through poetry, uh, even in their lifestyle. They wear his t-shirts. They, they just do different things that say that they belong to, to Satan or the devil. But you think about it. Satan is not worthy of, of worship. Not according to John 8 and 44 when Jesus just exposed them. He told Jews that he, he initially felt like they were going to surrender to him and receive him as Lord and Savior. Because they were, they were believing. But you know, James revealed that even the devil believes and trembles. But anyway, they, they didn't believe. And so Jesus just finally said, you are of your father, the devil. And he went so far as to talk about how they actually worship or uh, bless the devil. He said, look, the works that he does, that's what you do. He understood fully that when they started speaking against him uh, in contrast to the truth, that they were worshipers of the devil. And the church has, has, has yet to grasp that 
in the manner that they should. Whenever you hear folks talk against the name of Jesus, talk against the word of God, you should have a clear understanding that that person, based upon John 8 and 44, uh, is of the devil. I said they are of the devil. But again, Peter here, he knew that God was not only blessed, holy, sacred, righteous, clean, but he also understood that he was worthy to be blessed, worthy to be praised. Just like David. David so understood it to where he said, when I come into his house, I'm going to start blessing him. I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to give him this, that, and the other. Paul took it a little further because he understood that God should be blessed at all times. Should always be given praise. He understood that, and David even understood that God should be blessed and praised at all times. In the good, in the bad, when things are up, when things are down, we still should give God the praise. And the verse really give, gives us one of the most important reasons why we should bless or praise God. Jesus. Jesus. God loved you and he loved me to the point to where he made the decision that he was going through the Holy Spirit to impregnate a woman by the name of Mary in order for us to be begotten or have the opportunity to be born again. When we are begotten of God, it says about us that, that we we're born again. And according to Jesus in the book of John, the third chapter, the sixth verse and following, a born again experience is necessary, is necessary if we are going to enter into the kingdom of God. No way you can be a part of God's plan on earth or in heaven unless you are born again. Said it to a man that thought he was all right with God, Nicodemus. Told Nicodemus, except you be born again, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. See, some folks think they automatically going to make it because of what a preacher said. Or because of this, that, and the other. Even though this, that, and the other is in contrast to God's word. They still feel as if they're going to make it. But say to your neighbor, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. You have to be begotten of God. And when you are 
sincerely or truly begotten of God is going to be evident. It's going to be evident first and foremost to you. How do we base that upon scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, which states, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed. But then that next word is the key. Behold, look, it's new. If you can't look at yourself, and see that change has been happening in your spirit, your soul, and your body. You're not born again. See, that there, there are certain religious folks that say once saved, always saved. But understand this, if you're truly born again, it's going to be evident to you in the way you think. Talk and act. And get this. That process of manifesting newness will continue. And as it continues, you will get more mature in God, but you will also become more like him. You'll recognize what Paul recognized in reference to old things passing away. Paul said, I die daily. He could tell that, that the more he lived according to God's word. Or the more he thought like the scripture. Talked like the scripture. And did like the scripture. That the old man was dying. Dying. I die daily. But on the other hand, if, if, if you say you're born again, but it's not evident that you're diminishing daily, instead of you, you maturing, you're backsliding. You're backsliding. You're in the church, but if you think, talk, and act like the world or like you used to, you're back sliding. And instead of old things passing away, they're coming back again. They're coming again the old habits that you laid aside they're coming back again dispelling in reference to your life the resurrection making your God look bad say to your neighbor we can't make our Jesus look bad if you find yourself in a backslidden position. And again, it's easy to tell because you have started to think 
talk and act like you used to. It's time to reverse it. Because you need to be seeing yourself dying daily. Woo, and ain't it, ain't it wonderful when you see yourself dying? <laughs> Woo, what, let, let me just break it down a little bit. Remember when you first got saved, you were still cussing a little bit. But now you say, man, I ain't cussed in 10 years. Boy, you dying. You sure enough dying. <laughs> Remember when you were robbing God, making up excuses why you wouldn't give him his money. I can't afford to give him his money. Things are going this way and I can't. Get, but now you done got to the point to where you give him his tithes and his, his offering. Guess what's happening? You are dying. You don't allow a headache to keep you out of church. You come to church even though, even though you battling up here, you are dying daily. Something wonderful is happening to you. And, that, and that's what Paul recognized. I die daily. I, I can tell that, that he's increasing, but I am. I'm decreasing. I can tell it. I, I, I can tell that what I used to like to do, I don't like it anymore. So I'm dying, but he's yet living in a greater way. That's what's happening when you recognize what God has done for you and you're operating according to his resurrection. You letting folks know you done been redeemed. Matter of fact, by show of hands, how many can just say to somebody uh, or can just say to me, I've been redeemed. And I'm yet thinking, talking, and doing according to the word. Oh, you're not flawless, but you're yet thinking, talking, and doing according to the word. And so notice again, according to the text, because I don't, I don't want to lose you. Notice again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He resurrected me and, and, and when Peter Look back at it. He acknowledges that it came because of the sacrifice of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Then Paul said in Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is Jesus Christ. Right? Well, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But Peter recognized the whole process as abundant mercy. Abundant kindness. Abundant forgiveness. 
Because some of us, uh, we, we couldn't just use our fingers and our toes in reference to how much God had to forgive us. I mean, that just wouldn't work. What are you saying, preacher? I'm, I'm saying God had to forgive you for more than 20 things. I said God had to forgive you for more than 20 things. Some of us, uh, some of the mess we did, we, we, we can't even remember all of the mess we did. And some of the mess we did, we don't want nobody to know about. Ooh, some of y'all just with a straight face like. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God for the blood. Ain't God good? Because he could have exposed all your stuff. Can you imagine if God were like some God? He said, look, I want everybody to get in a line and we're going to talk about what you did. You know I'm omniscient, so I'm going to let everybody know what you did. But he didn't do that, did he? You know, he could have came up and said, yeah, I know she's been telling y'all how holy she is. Let me tell you what she did when she was out there. Matter of fact, there's 150 things. So I'm only going to be able to tell y'all 75, but they're going to be the worst thing she did. He didn't do that, did he? He took our sins, cast them as far as the east to the west into the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, that's how one writer put it. But the scripture lets us know that he covered Everything with his blood, except for the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. What can wash me? What can cleanse me? What can make me whiter than snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Give God the praise for his blood. But again, Peter refers to the whole process of of redemption in this verse as God's abundant mercy. Some folks try to act as if God's mercy is the antithesis of abundance. Which is scarce. Yeah. They try to limit God as to, well, he helping her, but he couldn't help her. No, no, God, his mercy, again, is abundant. Abundant theologically speaking when it comes to God. Is more than enough. Which is in line with the actual root meaning of abundance. Which means overflow. 
that, that, that's the reason what he did for us, it worked better than us just making a New Year's resolution. Or joining a program that required us to do 12 steps. His abundant mercy was enough for me to stop shooting. Dope. Stop snorting dope. Them two things that he had to forgive me for. You want me to tell you some more stuff? See, some of y'all act like you, see, ain't no, see, you thinking if I tell you something, I'm going to ask you to tell me something. So you just like. Listen to this. His, his mercy not only represents his kindness and his forgiveness, but his mercy represents his, his power. If, a, if his abundant mercy could redeem me based upon the verse, that means it's powerful. Because I'm just going to be honest with you, and I hope some of y'all will come clean too. Uh, I tried to quit, but couldn't quit. I said, I tried to quit sinning, but I couldn't quit sin. But hold on. His mercy does not just stop at forgiving you. His mercy also has to do with his kindness. Or his helping you. Helping you how? In every aspect of your life. You can't limit God. God can, God can put his mercy on you to help you in every aspect of your life. See, he forgave me for sin, but then he turned around and used his mercy to help me financially. To help me mentally. Or just bottom line, to help me in every aspect of my life. Why is that? Because his abundant mercy is what Jesus himself revealed one of the things he came for. His abundant mercy in reference to my life. John 10 and 10. The thief comes not before the steal, kill, and do. But Jesus said, I came. That you may have life. And have it more abundantly. How in the world did we end up On the good side, as I call it. In every aspect of our lives. How in the world did we not know, but then he gave us a word that caused us to know. His mercy. She ain't never had anything, but I'm going to have mercy on her and give her a word so she can get what she needs he don't think he can but I'm going to give him a word and he going to start believing he he can what is that his abundant mercy see see, the resurrection is, is bigger than, than God just redeeming you from sin 
when it comes to God's abundant mercy, it's the reason why you're doing as well as you're doing right now. What, what is it that, that, that causes you to prosper? But a person that's smarter than you, more educated than you, doing the same thing you're doing, but they're not prospering in the way you're prospering. Nothing but his mercy. Because, see, this is a thing that the psalmist and others reveal about the mercy of God. It endures forever. But see, David broke it down when, when, when he penned in, in Psalm 23, the last verse. He says, surely, goodness and mercy. What's happening? They're going to follow me all the days of my life life. And see, David talked about mercy being with him even though he went through a valley of the shadow of death, even though he was at a table uh, and his enemy, his enemies was all around the table. What does that mean? It means that his enemies was trying their best to destroy him on every on every hand. Every hand. What was it that protected him? God's mercy. You got to see what Peter saw. Peter, Peter recognized that Jesus was the means to us being resurrected. But it all happened because of God's abundant mercy. But then he dropped something else in the verse. He talks about his his abundant mercy actually making a way for us to have a living hope. A living hope. A living hope. What is hope? Anticipation? Expectation? Theologically, hope is when you have certainty in you to the point to where you can talk like Paul talked in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. When Paul said, all of the promises of God in him are yes and amen. There is no doubt in that verse. Nothing in that verse but hope. Nothing in that verse but certainty. Nothing in that verse but surety. Paul had a deep understanding in reference to hope. He knew that hope was, yes, anticipation, yes, expectation, but he also knew hope was salvation. He also knew hope when it was tied into God was that which would deliver protect and cause us to prosper. I got to show you this verse. Because it seems like I'm losing some of y'all. If I'm not, how come you ain't talking to me? Let's go to Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8. Now remember what? Hope. A living expectation. But consider Romans 8. We're we going to just pull a little lot. Verses 24 and 25. 
Paul says, for we were saved in this hope. What's the implication? Hope saves. Again, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not. So what is he talking about now? Hope that is seen is not hope. He's talking about faith. Right? So now he, he's actually implying that hope equates faith. How do you get that, Pastor? Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is a substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things what? Keep looking at the verse. And listening to me. And we know that, well, again, Romans 8 and 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with what? Perseverance. Folk that are truly hoping or have Sureness of certainty in them concerning the things of God are waiting for that miracle. Waiting for that change to take place. They're, they're not to the point to where they're, they're wondering if it's going to happen. They know it's going to happen. See, when you have divine hope, you just know something is going to happen. I said, you just know something is going to happen. Look at the verse. They eagerly, what? Wait for it. I'm expecting it. Yeah, it's Monday. It ain't came yet. I can't tell you what time it's going to come because it's on his timetable, but it's coming. It's coming. But see, some folk have, have more expectation in UPS than God. I'm serious. Some folk won't even leave the house. You be here coming today. Yeah, they done already text me. They're going to be in between 4 and 6. And if you're like me, you, you be there at 4 and 6, but, but they don't never show up. And then they mess around and send you another text. We'll be there between 7 and 9. And then they finally send you another text. It's going to be the next day. <laughs> God just lets you know, I'm coming. I'm coming. If I said it, I'll do it. I'm going to show up. That's the reason the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 10 and 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great reward. Great what? He just said, just, just keep, just keep hoping. Just keep hoping. Be because if you keep hoping, Especially based upon 1 Peter 1 and 3, you understand what God is going to send. In reference to you hoping, his great mercy or his abundant mercy. That's, that's what he's going to do. He's going he to send his mercy. And so you're going to hold on to your living or existing hope. But this is the thing right here. You can never allow that living hope to turn into dead hope. I've seen saints do it time and time again. They get to looking at how things are changing for the worse. 
literally speaking, are based upon what they see. They get to looking at all that. And then all of a sudden, that living hope turns into hopelessness. And you know hopelessness equates despair or leads to despair where you, you just get into a state to where you're completely out of, of hope. You just ain't believing that it's going to happen. You done reached that state. And when you reach that state, it's not that mercy is not going to do what God sent it to do. It's just not going to happen to you. Because you have allowed what should be living to become dead. Sad situation. Just like Paul had, had to address the church. Folk in the church were to the point to where they had heard Paul and other apostles preach about the resurrection. But they had started hitting back doors saying, I don't believe there's no resurrection. I don't believe it happened the way Paul said it happened. And Paul broke it down to the point to, to say, look, if it ain't no resurrection, that means Jesus didn't die. Matter of fact, if it ain't no resurrection, he didn't even come. For it wasn't no need for him to come because his assignment was to come die and be resurrected in order for us to have life. You holding on to your hope is that which is going to cause the manifestation of what God has ordained for you to, to inherit or to have. Because God honors faith. And again, we see that hope and faith based upon Romans 8, 24 and 25 and based upon Hebrews 11 and 1, they are synonymous or they are connected. My hope and my faith cannot be separated because hope and faith are They are connected. You can't say you have faith without hope. Well, Pastor, I, I, I'm, I, my hope gone, but I'm still, I still got faith. No, you can't do that, baby. And even if that were possible, you're still not going to get what you've been praying for. Because if you're divided, you're going to fall. If you're divided, desolation is going to show up, according to Matthew 12 and 25. But because of his abundant mercy toward us, he gave us a living hope. But it's all through the resurrection of Jesus a living, a living hope. 
And this is the thing. Because every resurrection has to experience death. Or has to experience a downside. You should never give up your hope just because you're going through a downside. There has to be a downside before you receive a resurrection. Even Jesus the man experienced a downside. Everybody betrayed him. Even his top disciple that had been set aside to be an apostle denied him while he was getting warm at the fire. And went and backslid in front of him. When, they, when, when a girl just simply asked him, you got to be one of them. I done told you I wasn't one of them. And then he cussed the girl out at the fire. The chicken went to cutting up. And Jesus just looked at him. Did he say a word? Just looked at him as if to say, I told you that would come. <laughs> you have to remember. You got to hold on to your hope even when you see that downside. Why? It's part of the resurrection. Except a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die. There will be no resurrection. It's got to be a downside. I'm going to tell you something. Time I have been hoping for something. Opposition would come real hard. And, and opposition would come to the point to where opposition would, would basically kill me. Everything I was looking for, just kill it. Wanted me to say, well, it's over. But then I had to think in my mind, God is the God of resurrection. Even when, it, even when it's over, said, and done, literally speaking, because he has omnipotence, he can still cause it to get back up again. And that's the reason one of the most powerful definitions of resurrection is recovery. Recovery. It, it's, when, it's when God sees that everything has went completely down. But then he steps in and he causes everything to flourish again. Say to your neighbor, you got to have a living hope. Despite what you go through. Say that to one more person. You've got to have a living hope. And be serious when you utter out of your mouth. It ain't over until God says it's over. You got to be serious about that. Because there, there are going to be some things to where you're going to see, you're going to see steps working in your way. You're going to see one, two, three. But then in one instance, you're going to see one, two, and three being taken down. But you got to have in your being that, that yeah, they're down and the only thing need to happen is a resurrection. 
direction. And remember, you can't be like the sisters of, of Lazarus, or one of the sisters in particular. Jesus kept telling her that a resurrection was going to happen, but she kept fighting the word. Until he finally had to rebuke her. Letting her know, woman, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Say to your neighbor, I don't know what kind of death situation you're dealing with. But right now, you need to believe that God can resurrect him. Say that to another person. I don't know what kind of death situation you're dealing with. But right now, you need to believe that God can. When you sow a seed that has to die into the ground, Guess what you sow it in? Guess what every farmer saved or sinner sows it in? Hope. Even treat it like it's dead. Put it in the ground. Then take dirt and bury it. Walk away from it and hoping that even though it's dead, you don't put the dirt to it. Then on about 14 to 30 days, something going to come up. Never lose your hope. Never stop believing that God is not only going to do what he promised, but he's going to do exceeding abundantly above. What you ask and what you think according to Ephesians 3 and 20. How many are understanding? I'm done. Let's go to the Lord and the praise.